Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with freedom through faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. I wonder why people go to church if they have no intention of obeying what they hear. I think some, I think most people that go to church today do so out of obligation. Amen. I mean, we've all heard of the one that says, you know, oh, we're going for the kids. And we want the kids to. To get a little bit of religion is good for them. I mean, when I was a kid, we had a plaque in Sunday school that read, Don't send your children to Sunday school. Take them. So we go out of tradition. A lot of times we go to church simply to check the block that I did my Sunday one hour and 30 minutes. I mean, we've always gone to church on Sunday. We do that out of tradition. That's what we're supposed to do. If asked, some people will tell you how long they've been attending the same church. I'm the fourth generation to attend our family's church. The more you talk to them, the less you believe they're even saved. I mean, they're more involved in the organization of the church more than anything. I've been a deacon here for 22 years. My wife is the assistant secretary to the assistant pastor, or something along those lines. Some people just go because they have to go. It's like the guy who said, my mother made me go when I was a kid, and now my wife makes me go. And these people are really obvious. They sit there and pout through the whole service. I mean... You see it all from the pulpit. Amen. (laughs) You know, you got the yawners, the sleepers, the powders, those that are playing games on their smartphones or texting. You can see it all, people. Some people will try and hide it, but I'm telling you, the pastor sees it all. You can't hide it. No matter how hard you try, you cannot hide it. There are some people who go out of legalism. Hebrews 10.25 says, We are to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And there are those who will assemble if it kills them. Some go for the entertainment. That's a big thing today. A lot of churches, that's all they do is entertain people. They 
you know, got the the nightclub atmosphere with the music cranked way up where you can't even talk to the person next to you. They show films and these cute little video vignettes and oh yeah, they do add a message in there at some point in time, but you know, we're just waiting for that to get done so the music can start again because that means we can go home. People go to church for all kinds of strange reasons. I had a friend who pastored a little church in Tennessee. I, I met him when I was at Bible College in Texas way back in 1998. I've lost track of him now. But back then, he would attend Bible school during the week, then fly back on Friday night and pastor on Sunday morning, then fly back to Texas for Bible school Sunday night. But he was there, glory to God. He was in both places. He was committed to both places. Anyway, during the time he was there, uh, he was telling me uh, two students from a Bible college near where he lived and was pastoring would attend their services. And he said they were straight-A attendance goers. I mean, they were always there. And they not only went to every service he preached, but they made up a little form. They critiqued every message he gave. This form had several points about the quality of his message and whether or not his illustrations were effective and the appropriate of his gestures, the quality of his speaking, the tone of his voice. And they gave him a letter grade on every message. And they, handed, they would hand him the forms on the way out. He said, sometimes they were brutal. I said, how do you stand for that? And he said, well, at first I couldn't. Then I decided I wanted to do such a great job that they'd have nothing to criticize. And slowly but surely, it made me better. And the critiques got better. Amen. I wonder if either of these two people ever got into ministries. Amen. And used the same critiques on their own messages. I mean, there's one person who goes to church very regularly and is unsaved. He's a regular attender in church and is going straight to hell. And that's the person who's deceived. You heard my testimony before. That was me. If you asked me if I was saved, I said, oh, yes, amen. I was baptized when I was young. I've been through the communion classes for the Lutheran Church and became a member of the Lutheran Church. Oh, yes, amen. But my lifestyle was far from Christian. And there are those people in every church who will attend every service. They're a part of the very fabric of the church. But they will never be saved. They're deceived. The scriptures say they are there. I know I use this passage a lot of times to refer to the liberal crowd, but it also fits the one who claims to be a fundamentalist, very active in the church, very far from the Lord. If you turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 23, you don't have to turn over there. I'm just going to read it for the sake of time. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name? 
And we've cast out devils in your name. And we've done all these wonderful works in your name. Then I'll profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Listen to what it says about this person. He preached, he cast out demons, did many wonderful works. He probably got awards for various Christian organizations and churches for all that he did. And they will not realize until the end that they've been working for a salvation that was freely provided that they never accepted. So some come for the wrong reasons. Others come with the wrong attitude. Thankfully, many still come because they love the Lord. Amen. Shout amen. I think if we're here with a prayerful heart, God will bless us even if the message is something on the the seven sneezes of the boy in 2 Kings 4 where Elisha raises him from the dead. Amen. And so we ask, why didn't these people standing there that day say anything? I think the reason's simple. They realized Elijah's challenge was not to Baal. It was to the unbelief of the nation of Israel. That's why I asked them, how long are you going to do this? After all, you can't wait forever. In verse 22, he says, I stand alone. I Even I remain as the only prophet of the Lord. And we wonder where the 7,000 believers were. Why it is that none of them stood with Elijah. Edmund Burke once wrote, Evil men triumph while good men stand by in silence. There was a big crowd there that day. There may have even been some believers in the crowd. But if there were, they never said a word because of peer pressure. I think the reason Baal worship spread so fast and so far was because nobody objected to it. The lukewarm believers must have hated Elijah because he was exposing their feeble attempt to please a holy God simply by their verbal profession of faith. Oh, I believe... I think the Baal worshipers hated him too because he said they were there to lead the Jews away from the one true God. One thing we know for sure, Elijah was not there to make friends. And boy, can I relate to that. He was going to step on some toes that day. Praise God. He was a God's man with God's message. When we think of it, Basically, we're in the same situation he was. We have an unpopular message today as well. It's not only the fact that people are sinners and separate from God, but it's the reality of hell that awaits them. People don't care uh, hearing about the love of God and how wonderful God is and how wonderful heaven is. They don't mind messages like that. And that's the main... Basically, that's the message you preach at funerals. But it's being preached in churches today because it gives everybody a warm, fuzzy feeling that everything's going to be all right. And everyone could go home feeling good about themselves and clapping for themselves and patting themselves on the back because they were in church and they heard a great message today. Now, I realize there are times when we can't say too much 
But every once in a while, we have an opening, and you have to take it. You have to step on toes sometimes. That's why Elijah said, I'm standing alone here. I, even I, am the only prophet of the Lord left. He was there with a message. He wasn't there for the group hug. Amen. We have a proposition of a contest here. In verse 24, he says, You call on the name of your God, I'll call on the name of my God. And whoever answers by fire, let him be God of all. And all the peoples, that is, hey, yeah, that's well spoken, which is another way of saying, now there's a great idea. Because if Jehovah answers, then he wins. But if Baal answers, he wins. Whoever wins, or whoever answers, we win. Because we get to see a miracle. You know, it's kind of like a fireworks competition. And if nobody answers, the people could ignore both of them. As far as they were as far as these these group of people was concerned, they were in a no-lose situation. I mean, if God answers, we'll follow him. Baal answers, we'll follow him. If nobody answers, we don't have to do any anything anymore. In verse 25, Elijah says to them, okay, Elijah says to them, you go first and choose your bull, your bullock, dress it first, call on the name of your gods, but no fire underneath it. He says put no fire under it because he doesn't want any tricks. So they choose it, cut it, they call on their God from morning till noon. They cry and scream. They leap on the altar. They cut themselves with lances and swords. Their blood's pouring out on the on the, the altar that they've made. They dance and cry. But still, their God does not hear them. It's not like I want to give them credit for believing, but they did believe. It's just they were wrong, but they were definitely sincere. If sincerity could save anybody, these people, with what they were doing that day, praying, shouting, dripping with blood, they would have been saved. But they weren't. They were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. Amen? You see, our faith, folks, is only as good as the object of our faith. John chapter 4, verse 24 says, They that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. We have to be in the right relationship with God, which is in the right spirit and according to the truth, just means we have to repent of our sin and trust God to save us. People trust in their church membership or in baptism, or the fact that they've come from a Christian home. But as the hymn writer said, nothing can take away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, now notice, while all this is going on, Elijah's standing over there mocking them. This is really something when you realize he was there all by himself. I mean, it's one thing to mock someone when you're part of a crowd. But he was on one side by himself, and all of Israel that had been identifying with the false prophets were on the other side. And he's mocking them, and they just got them madder and madder. What he says is, look how puny your God is. Then he says this by shouting, cry louder. I mean, maybe he's talking to someone, and he can't even only carry on one conversation at a time. 
And they said, maybe he's pursuing, which is another way of saying in that day that he's gone, he's, he's busy going to the bathroom. Or maybe he's gone on a trip. After all, your God might have gone out to sea to protect some sailor in a storm. You can't expect your God to be everything at one time, can you? Maybe he's asleep. Shout louder and wake him up. I mean, he has to rest too, doesn't he? Besides what Elijah is saying, it would almost seem like their gods had been mocking them also. Because it also says, they cried louder. Which is another way of saying they started yelling their heads off. They cut themselves, their own blood gushing everywhere. I mean, these people were stupid, but they were sincere. I'm not belittling their faith, just the focus of their faith. It's like, it's kind of like the Jehovah Witnesses. I mean, we see their beautiful buildings and how they take care of their property. Then we see their people nicely dressed going door to door on Saturday mornings. There's no doubt about their sincerity, but they're still lost. So in spite of their belief, and everything they did, verse 29 says, nobody heard, no one responded. What a comparison to our all-caring, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty God. Hallelujah. He hears the whisper of a child's first prayer. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, Scripture says. And Scripture says that he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's always watching, always listening, always moving in a believer's heart. And then the time comes for the evening sacrifice. And Elijah says, okay, my turn. Come over here. I want you to see what I'm going to do. And he wants him to see that there's no tricks. There's not going to be any sleight of hand. What he's saying is, don't just look for the fireworks or you're going to miss the point here. There's something I need to show you and teach you and make you remember here. Not just something to see. So he tells him to set up the 12 stones. That represents the 12 tribes of Israel. God is using this, Elijah is using this illustration to take them back to the basics of God. So that's what's important. You just can't have fancy shows and loud music. Sometimes it takes taking people back to the basics to make them realize how worldly they've become. It's something that you don't see in a lot of churches today. They think they have evolved past the basics. We worship God on a higher spiritual level in our church. Give me a break. Sometimes you have to go back to the basic fundamentals upon which our faith is built. Amen. So here Elijah is pointing the people back to the first covenant that they had with God. You know, the story about Vince Lombardi, you know, he'd, if they lost the game or at the beginning of training season, he would take a football into the locker room and start with the basics. He'd say, gentlemen, this is a football. And these X's and O's, the X's are 
there to stop. Well, this is a football. The objective is to take this football across the enemy's goal line and score points. That's the offense's job. The defense's job is to stop the other team from crossing our goal line and scoring points. That's the basics, gentlemen. And that's what Elijah's doing here. He's taking them back to the basics. So he had them build an altar. Obviously, there had been an altar there because the stones were there. But the fact that it was broken down was evidence that Jezebel had ordered them all. Every altar to the Lord was to be destroyed. They had no use for it anymore anyway since they stopped sacrificing because they allowed the world to influence their thinking. After all, if they were no longer conscious of their sins then there was no need of a sacrifice. We see that in today's world as well. People are not conscious of their needfulness of a Savior. They think, well, I'm doing the best I can, and when I get to heaven and knock on the door, I hope that you know he'll look and say, well, you, you tried your best, and you didn't live a bad life. Come on in. That's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. The only way you will ever see heaven is if you receive Jesus as your Savior while here on this earth. Because Jesus even taught about the old uh, beggar Lazarus and the rich man. says both of them died on the same day. The rich man was taken straight to hell. Lazarus was ushered to the bosom of Abraham. You know, you're not going to see heaven and and stand up before God and plead your case. I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't date girls who do, and all that. It's not going to be that way. You must have Jesus as your Savior. But here these people were not conscious of their sins, just like People today are not conscious of their sins. And then they get mad when you point out their sin to them. So the broken altar was evidence of their broken fellowship with Almighty God. Then he dug a trench. This was to show a separation of the people from the holy ground of the altar. Then he butchered the bullock. Notice it was not a lamb or a bushel of grain, or a couple of turtle doves. What he was offering was prescribed by the law for the high priest or the prophet of God. He was declaring to the people and to God that, yes, he was a sinner in need of a sacrifice. He wasn't standing above them pointing out their sin. All you sinners out there, can't you be God's man like me? No. He was identifying himself with them. After all, we all have to be cleansed from sin before God will use us to lead others to the place of salvation. You cannot lead someone to salvation if you don't believe in that salvation. Now notice who's doing all the work. Elijah, the prophet, was leading by example here. Now he turns his attention to the people and he says, Go get 12 barrelfuls of water. Now, the first thing we'd ask is, where? 
Where are you going to get the water from? Water is precious. It's a three and a half year drought. Where are you going to get the water from? Well, they're on top of Mount Carmel. At the foot of the mountain was the Mediterranean, the Mediterranean Sea. It's significant that because it's salt water, Leviticus 2.13 says there are no sacrifices to be offered without salt. So they were probably doing some type of distilling of the seawater to make it fresh. But he says, go get, that, go get 12 barrels of this salt water and bring it here. So they weren't just soaking the wood. They were doing the whole will of God. They were pouring it over the sacrifice. This is the salt. Salt was used to give the sacrifice a sweet smell rather than the odor of burning flesh. Salt also keeps away the insects, and in doing so keeps the sacrifice pure. So Elijah set up the stones, built the altar, dug the trench, gathered the wood, butchered the sacrifice. Now it was their turn, the people's turn, to participate and identify with the sacrifice by pouring water on it. Once that was done, Elijah turns to the people. And says, okay, now it's time to pray. And Elijah prays. It's interesting to see his prayer as compared to the prayer of the prophets of Baal. They prayed for about eight hours. He prays for 20 seconds. His prayer is summed up in two verses, verses 36 and 37. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back again. And God's response was immediate. Lightning fell, fire fell, it consumed the sacrifice, it consumed the wood, it consumed the stones, it consumed the water, it even consumed the dust. There was nothing left. That was no ordinary fire because everything burned, stones and all. The fire of God, the people saw that day, brought them back to their senses. It says they fell immediately, shouting out, The Lord Jehovah, He is God. Lord Jehovah, He is God. Amen. We see fire-consuming offerings throughout the Old Testament. The offering of Abel in Genesis 4, verses 4 and 5. Genesis 15, God came down in a flame of fire to consume Abraham's sacrifice and confirm his covenant. Sodom and Gomorrah were consumed by fire. In Exodus on Mount Sinai, fire appeared to indicate the presence of God. God appeared as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night as the Israelites traveled through the wilderness. The Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai as God descended in a form of fire. God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. The fire of God fell and consumed the people who opposed Moses in his his day. The sons of Aaron were killed by fire when they offered strange fire to the Lord. Fire fell on the sacrifices of the brazen altar as Solomon finished the temple. 
Scripture says the fire of God fell and consumed the sacrifices. The book of Hebrews tells us that our God is a consuming fire. In each of these situations, the fire is always representative of the presence of God. So God's presence came back down in the midst of his people that day. Then Elijah turned around, the people had bowed down on the ground, shouting out, you know, Jehovah is God. And Elijah turns around and says, seize these prophets of Baal. Don't let one of them escape. Then he told the people to confess their sin and deal with their sin in their midst. You have to deal with your own sin before you can deal with the sin of others. Amen. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.